Matthew chapter number one. If you want to go ahead and be turning there, Matthew chapter number one. Today we're going to begin our series that we have been uh, kind of uh, promoting and pushing just a little bit, our series Waiting on Christmas, and I'm going to try to dive into it today, and for the next few weeks we will be looking at this thought of waiting on Christmas. And uh, here's the goal of this series, the goal is over the next four weeks to look at the birth of Christ uh, through the eyes of those who waited on him that very first Christmas that we're about to read about in the book of Matthew. I think it's important we go back to scripture and kind of use scripture as a, uh, a telescope, if we could, to look back to that very first Christmas that we might fully understand what this season is all about. I don't know if you're like me, but I've noticed in my life that time has a way of diluting the meaning of things. If you're not careful over the span of times, th- time, things begin to lose their luster and lose their meaning. And if you're not careful, you'll get caught up uh, in the traditions of this occasion and omit the truths of this occasion. This series, look, I mean, this holiday season that we're going into, there's a lot of tradition involved in it. I have a lot of personal traditions. I know we have a lot of cultural traditions here in our country, and nothing wrong with traditions, but understand this morning that the traditions of this season must take a back seat to the truths of this season, and that's what this series is all about. We're going to take a look back to the very first one, and we're going to look at what several of the primary characters that were there on that first Christmas morning, what they were looking for in Christ. Now, folks, we know Christ came to be our Savior. We know that, and we understand that, and we're thankful. If you're saved this morning, boy, you're thankful that he came to be your Savior and my Savior. But can I tell you something this morning? Christ is so much more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. I'm thankful that he's my Savior, and I'm thankful that I have a home in heaven, and I don't have to go to hell. I'm thankful for that this morning, but I'm here to tell you, and I hope over the next few weeks we look at several of these things, uh, that Christ came to bring so much more to us than to get out of hell free and to get into heaven. He brought so many more gifts that we are uh, privileged to have because of what he did. Now, here's what's sad. Oftentimes, too many of us lost and saved alike, we're searching for things in this life that Christ has already brought us with his. We're searching and we're frantic and we're trying this and we're trying that and we're going to and fro and running ourselves ragged trying to find things in this life that Christ has already brought us. When he came to this earth that first Christmas morning. Kind of reminds me the other day, my wife was talking about some things that, uh, that she was hoping to get and wanting to get uh, soon that she'd ordered through Amazon Prime. And she said, man, I wish those things would hurry up and get here. And man, I can't wait till they get here and wrap them. My wife loves to wrap the presents. Uh, she likes for them to be symmetrical. And she likes for the wrapping to be even. She wants some, you know, my daughter has her wrapping paper. I have my wrapping paper. And as a good husband, I go along with that. And my wrapping's not as good as hers, but it's in the paper that she wants it to be in. And uh, so she said, I sure, I sure would, uh, I can't wait for those things to come in. I had to go out to the car to get something. I walked out the door. And I nearby tripped over a box. The old UPS man had just showed up there unknowingly and dropped a box there on our front porch. I guess I should have tripped over it, broke my leg and sued him. I could have been rich. And man, we could have tithed off of that and been real, been real good here at the church. But it was already delivered. She was waiting on it and wondering about it, but what she didn't realize was it was already under the carport in there. And there's so many things today I see, listen, both lost and saved people alike. We are searching for things in this life 
that Christ has already brought in his. And I hope we'll find some of those things over the next few weeks as we look at this series, Waiting on Christmas, because you may just find that you're waiting on something that Christ has already delivered. So I hope over the next few weeks you get out of this series the truth that there is so much more to be had through, through this holiday season than just the presence underneath the tree. So Matthew chapter number one, if you're there, let's stand together. I'm going to have you look at two passages, one in Matthew and one in Luke. Matthew chapter one, I want you to look at verse number one. Just stretch your legs a little bit if you can. If you can't, just follow along with us there from your seat. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So I want you to skip ahead real quickly to verse 21. The Bible shows us here how the Lord is speaking to Joseph. And he's telling Joseph exactly what is about to take place. And the Bible says, we pick up in verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. If you look at verse number 23, and shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. So this morning we're going to look at what Joseph and Mary were waiting on when they waited on him this first Christmas. But first, real quickly, turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll read this and I'll let you be seated. Luke chapter 1 and look down to verse number 26. We see what the Lord had to say to Joseph. Now we're going to see what the Lord has to say to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said, came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now pay close attention to the next two verses. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be, he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I'm thankful for the truths that we just read, and I'm thankful, Lord, for you sending your son that I could be saved, and others, Lord, who trust and call upon the name of Jesus can be saved as well. And I pray that someone today who doesn't know him personally would come to know him. For the saved, I pray you would help us to see all that Christ came to bring us. The Father will not search in this life and in this world and amongst, uh, Lord, the merchandise this world offers for the things you've already provided through Christ. I pray the message would be done according to your will. You give us liberty and boldness. And Lord, recollection to preach what you'd have to in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to try to imagine this morning uh, the whirlwind of events that led to the stable where Mary and Joseph would be. You have an angel speaking to Joseph and an angel speaking to Mary and telling them all of these things were going to take place. Now, I believe wholeheartedly that they believed exactly what the angel told them, but you can't tell me this morning they did not have questions in their heart about how all of this was going to come to be. You imagine for all of these years they've waited on the Savior, and now here's the angel presenting himself saying, Mary and Joseph, you will be the family which the Savior will be born into. 
What's interesting when we read in Matthew and we read back in Luke, there's something we'll see specifically this morning that I believe bears mentioning for all of us. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, I'll read it for you in verse 22. Now all of this was done, all the things that the angel had to say, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. So I want you to notice that all that the angel spoke unto Joseph that we just read and all that the angel had to say unto Mary that we just read was a fulfillment of something. See, back in Isaiah, the Bible tells us that all of these things were prophesied long before Christ would ever be born. And in the arrival of Christ, as Mary and Joseph sat there waiting for the birth of Christ, they were waiting for something to be fulfilled. That's what we're going to look at this morning. What Christ came to fulfill was the promise of his father. And in the message this morning, we're going to look at what this promise was all about. The title of the message this morning is Waiting on the Promise of Christmas. Now, we need to understand this morning all of the things that Christ encapsulated because all of the promises that God made to Mary and made to Joseph concerning the Savior are the same promises that apply to you and I today. Folks, wouldn't it be wonderful if you were to uh, do one of those online searches and realize that you were one of those people that are owed the billions of dollars that the government has sitting waiting on them? Wouldn't it be wonderful? I just encourage you to tithe off of it if it is, okay? You go on that website, you find out there's free money out there the government wants to offer. You be careful when the word free and government are combined because there's usually strings attached. But wouldn't it be wonderful to realize that you had millions of dollars that you inherited for some, from somebody and didn't know it? As much as that would be wonderful this morning, I hate to tell you it's unlikely, but as much as it would be wonderful, I believe the, the better promise this morning is for all of us to realize that Christ came to give us more than just salvation. Christ came to give us so many promises, and we'll look at three of them this morning, and we're going to see what Mary and Joseph was waiting on. So notice, if you will, what's interesting in this passage we're going to look at today is the promises of God are intertwined with the names of Christ. As we read these passages of Scripture, we find Christ called several different things. He's called Jesus. He's called Christ. He's called Emmanuel. He's called the Son of the Most High. And why did not God just call him Jesus every time? Why didn't he say, Joseph, Jesus is going to be gone, born, and we'll call him Jesus and repeat that name over and over again? It's because God wanted us to understand all that Christ came to do, and you find that out by looking in his names. So Matthew 121, we'll start this morning. The Bible says, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, what does the name Jesus mean this morning? The word Jesus means Messiah or Savior. This is probably the primary attribute that we know of Christ. God's primary purpose in sending Christ was a response to something, and that response was the response to sin. You see, back in the book of Genesis, we see God creating a perfect world, and we see God putting man in that perfect world. But then we see sin appearing in the Garden of Eden. And when sin appeared and sin made a statement in God's perfect creation, God promised the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 that he would answer the statement that was made by sin. So number one this morning, I want you to notice that Christ was the promised answer to our past. Christ was the promised answer to our past. Now, stick with me this morning. It'll make sense in just a moment. How many of you have seen the old movie? The one I remember most is the Mickey Mouse version of A Christmas Carol. Remember that? 
You had the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. I don't know if that's politically correct anymore to show it, but it used to be a pretty good cartoon to watch around this time of year. And in order for Ebenezer Scrooge to understand the present and to make changes in the present, he was going to have to go back to the past. Now, folks, in order for us this morning to understand fully what Christ came to do and why Jesus the Savior is so important to the world, we've got to go back to the past. And exactly what Christ was, was God responding to the sin of our past. Over 4,000 years had passed since he made the promise in the book of Genesis. Mary and Joseph, as they sit there and looked into the manger at their child, they were looking at God's response to sin. Can I tell you something this morning? Christ is still God's response to sin. It breaks my heart to see so many in this world trying to find a way to answer sin and try to find a way to combat sin when the only answer is the answer that God sent in his son, Jesus. He's the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the answer from God for the past. God was confronting and resolving our sin. We see this very clearly in Romans chapter 5. If you want to turn there with me, we'll see it together. We use Romans 5 oftentimes in the Romans road to lead people to Christ. And I love Romans 5, 12. Listen close what the Bible says. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. What is Romans 5.12 doing? It's taking us back to the past. The Bible is saying that when Adam and Eve opened the door to sin, the Bible says in verse 12, one man's sin entered in the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. When Adam and Eve opened the door to sin, it came in on all of humanity. Several years ago, I was, uh, we lived in Louisiana, I was... Um, I was doing a skull mount for a friend. He killed a big deer, and uh, since I haven't killed any big deer, I thought I would just do them for other people, you know, just be a good servant-minded person. And uh, I decided since it was raining to boil the deer head on the porch, the front porch. Well, I had to come back in every once in a while to get a snack, you know. Uh, you know, about every 30 minutes, you need a good snack. Healthy growing men like me need a snack about every 30 minutes. And, and so I'd go in and come out and go in. And finally, I came back in, and my wife had her fingers over her nose. I said, what's wrong with you? She says, every time you open that door, the stink comes in. She says, now the whole house smells like boiling deer head. Now, I couldn't tell it because I was out there with it the entire time. It didn't smell any worse to me. But every time the door opened, the stink came in. And that's what happened, listen, that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve opened the door to sin, that's when the stink came in. And you and I, as great, 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 great grandchildren of Adam and Eve, we've inherited the stink of sin. And we'd bear it today, listen, were it not for Christ. This is, listen, this is what Christ came to do. When Mary and Joseph were waiting on Christ, they were waiting on Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, God's answer to the sin of our past. Aren't you glad God had an answer? Because I'll tell you this, none of us have an answer for sin of ourself. None of us are capable to answer the plague and the curse of sin on our own. But you keep reading Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The Bible says this. Look down, if you would, to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. 
Notice nobody is excused from the stink of sin. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. None of us are excluded, for all have sinned. That's every one of us. But keep reading. The Bible says, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came, free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now look at verse 21, and we'll go back to Matthew. The Bible says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is it saying? It says that when Mary, what Mary and Joseph were waiting on is the same thing that you and I were waiting on in our sin. We were waiting for the promised answer to our past. And boy, did God answer. He sent the perfect, sinless son to live, to die, to defeat death, hell, and the grave, and provide us a home in heaven. Folks, listen, if you don't know him this morning, you're missing out. He's the answer, that promised answer to our past. I hate to say this, but I probably owe a lot of people in this room an apology because I get busy from time to time and don't return calls and don't return text. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize. Can I do a mass apology? Is that okay? Can we just do that? There we go. It just gets busy, and sometimes I forget I'm human. My wife doesn't realize I am. She thinks I'm Superman, but I really am human. And sometimes I forget to text people back, and we use a phrase called, you left me hanging. You text somebody a question. I was in a store yesterday trying to buy a Christmas present for my wife, and uh, I texted her, and I says, is this kind of what you were thinking about wanting? And she didn't text me back. She left me hanging, okay? She never answered my text. Aren't you glad? Listen, by the way, we all know somebody like that, don't we? Go ahead and look at them right now if you want to. They're in the room. You're looking at them. They're here. They never text you back. They just leave you hanging. You ask them a question or you make a statement and they never respond. Listen, aren't you glad this morning God didn't leave us hanging? Aren't you glad, listen, when sin made a statement and sin uh, ruined that perfect creation that God had, Genesis chapter 3, God spoke to the serpent and he says, there's coming a day that I'm going to send someone who's going to bruise your head. He says, you may be getting away with it right now and you enjoy the sin for a season right now, but I'm going to answer you later. And the answer that, listen, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. God says, I've got an answer. And when they looked at Christ, they were looking at God's answer for sin. And I'm thankful this morning that God had an answer because, listen, I didn't. I had nothing to say. It really breaks my heart to see our world struggling to find an answer for the sin problem we have within ourselves. You're not going to find it. I read a Fox News article. I think it was maybe Monday. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you Google it to read the article, you better not be squeamish because it is, it is, it is quite uh, disturbing. Over in Nepal, they just had this, one of the largest animal sacrifices uh, on the planet. It's one time. At one point, the sacrifice a few years ago had reached over 500,000 water buffalo. And these poor people from all over Nepal come in and bring all of these water buffalo in for this sacrifice. I'm going to tell you the video is kind of gruesome. They have these butchers who go throughout the corral and they slowly, one by one, kill all of these water buffalo. This past week, over 3,500. What's sad is these people are starving and they're slaughtering these water buffalo to appease the goddess of power. 
They're trying to find an answer to the problem that they have. But folks, if we just read the word of God this morning, we'd find Hebrews chapter 10 tells us it's impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. Christ is God's answer. It is not in the goats. It's not in the bulls. Listen, by the way, you say, those heathen people. I mean, how, listen, how, how heathen must you be to think that goats and bulls could take away sin? Just about a heathen as we are to think our works do. I read a, another article this week about the newest presidential candidate. They're dropping like flies, aren't they? Michael Bloomberg has thrown his hat in the ring. Michael, Michael Bloomberg said this week, he's done a lot of charitable giving in his life. He's a billionaire and he's helped people in poverty and taken away people's guns. And he thinks that's a good idea for some odd reason. He says this, if there is a God, and if there's a heaven, I will walk right on in because I've earned my spot. Can I tell you, Michael Bloomberg is just as big a heathen as the people in Nepal. To think that there's anything that he can do that will come to the same level as the perfect, sinless Son of God as the answer for the sin of our past. Folks, can I tell you what Mary and Joseph were waiting on that first Christmas is they were waiting on God's answer. And by the way, that's the same thing every one of us were waiting on. I'm thankful that as a child I was shared the gospel and heard the good news of the Christ child that was born to come and to bear my sin to the cross of Calvary and that he rose again and secured victory for me and I put my faith and trust in him. I'm glad this morning, listen, I'm glad this morning that God had an answer. Because I know that I sure did not. Oftentimes we come before God and we dare offer up our good works. God, I've been good. I've done good. That ought to get me into heaven. Oh, can I tell you, that's a front to Christ. That we offer up, the Bible says what our righteousness is, filthy rags. We offer up filthy rags and say that's just as good as Jesus. No, he was the Messiah. Look up the word Christ. It means the anointed one. John 14, 6, I am the way. He was the anointed one. God says this is my answer. Hold up your works to God as your ticket to heaven. You know what he's going to say? Wrong answer. Hold up 500,000 water buffalo. Here is what we want to get into heaven. God's going to say, wrong answer. Hold up any work of your own and anything that you have done. God says, wrong answer. I often out soul winning. I ask people, if you died right now, are you sure you're going to heaven? Oftentimes they say yes. We live in the South where there's a stronghold of cultural Christianity. It's not a character Christianity of who they are. It's a cultural Christianity of how they were raised, but they've never trusted Christ. And I ask the question, so if you were to die right now and you stood before God and they asked you, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? Well, I tried to be good. I help little old ladies across the street. There's nothing wrong with that. If you see one needing help, you ought to help them across the street. One day you'll be old and somebody needs to help you across the street too. You reap what you sow. But I hate to tell them that's not the right answer. I saw something funny the other day. There was a big outcry. Boy, big outcry. And a Wheel of Fortune. Y'all watch that show? Wheel of Fortune. Anybody ever been on Wheel of Fortune? I've never met anybody. Anybody ever been on that? All right. Well, just be sure you tithe if you do, okay? Just picking. There was a big outcry because the lady solved the puzzle. It was a crossword puzzle. And when you solve the crossword puzzle, 
You say the four words, but you add nothing to it. And I forget what the four words were. She says this word, this word, this word, and this word. I think it was $10,000 that was up for stake or around $10,000. Pat Sajak, as compassionately as he could, says, I'm sorry. That's the wrong answer. Now, she had everything right. She just added an and to it, which made it all wrong. Can I tell you, you add anything or take anything away from the right answer of Christ, and you've got it wrong. And you're going to miss out because Christ was the answer, the promised answer to our past. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and I'll give you the next thing, neither is there salvation in any other. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other, other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. God is saying in Christ, here's my answer, the promised answer from our past. But here's what's interesting. Look back, if you will, to Matthew, and you'll see something beautiful in one of the other names of Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. The Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. So watch, watch close. In the name of Jesus Christ, we see that Christ was the promised answer to our past. But the name Emmanuel is kind of different. And matter of fact, we don't even have to look up the word Emmanuel because the definition is in verse number 23, which being interpreted is God with us. So we see that Mary and Joseph, like you and I, were waiting on God's promised answer to the past. But in Emmanuel, it's not talking about the past. It's talking about the present. God with us. What's interesting, don't turn there for the sake of time. And somebody asked me the other day, why, why don't you talk about time? I'll tell you two words, nursery workers, okay? I'm not going to try, I'm trying not to tell too many side stories or jokes. I'm going to try to preach what God says preach, but I try to be, you know, conscious of those folks back there. They're going to riot one day and they're just going to bust through these doors and they're going to turn all the kids loose on us and we're going to be in so much trouble. So that's the only reason I think about time, but, but bear with me this morning. At the end of this book, Matthew, we have chapter 28. At the beginning, we have Emmanuel, God with us. And boy, what a blessing it is that God put on flesh and came down to be with us. But we read at the end of the book, chapter 28, verse 18, 19, and 20, particularly verse number 20. The Bible says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Listen close. Red letters. Emmanuel is about to speak. He says, in low I am with you always. I'm with you always. Now, wait a minute. Chapter 1, he says, it's Emmanuel, God with us. And at the end of the book, as he gets ready, listen, he's resurrected. Can you imagine how the disciples must have felt? He's leaving us. It was nice to have him while we had him. He says, oh, don't you worry. Lo, I am with you always. Number two, what were Mary and Joseph waiting on? They were waiting on the promise that accompanies the present. They were waiting on the promise that would accompany the present. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Listen close. Oftentimes, we read just the first part of a verse. I'm very guilty of that. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, 
I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Aren't you glad that not only do we have a Savior that came to be with us, but he stays with us? Aren't you glad? But the next part of verse, verse number five and verse number six is important. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So, that so means I'm fixing to show you the result of that. Because of the fact that I'll never leave thee nor forsake you, because lo, I am with you always, listen close, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. What shall man do unto me? You see, the result of the fact that God is with us, it makes us bold. Folks, can I tell you, I wonder why so many Christians today are moping. You know what moping is? Some of you are looking like, what? You know what moping is? For you trip over your lip. You watch the news and you just get depressed. The world's heading to hell in a handbasket. And I don't know if we're going to win the election. It's just all bad. Can I give you one word that ought to pull up that bottom lip? Emmanuel. God with us. By the way, he's still with us. All right? Oh, we lost the house. Oh, we lose the White House. Oh, we lost the election and all of that. Okay, we may lose that. But we still have God with us. What are we moping about? Listen, Mary and Joseph was waiting on the promise, that promise from the past, but also they were waiting on the promise that would accompany our present. I'll tell you, I'm thankful this morning for the promise of eternity, especially with some of the people that drive around this town. Slow in the fast lane, they got to be lost. They don't use blinkers. I, look, I don't honk at people off. I honked at a lady the other day. If, you were, if, if it was you, I'm sorry. I told Ms. Reagan yesterday, she was riding with us. I said, I want to honk at people so bad, but I don't know all of my church members' cars yet. <laughs> you know? Not only do we have a church directory of your faces, we have a church directory of your cars. We, look, everybody needs to get a central sticker on the back of your car. If you don't have the sticker, you're getting honked at. I honked at her. You know what she did? She honked right back. She was a pretty stocky lady, so I just kept going. I didn't want to engage that. Let me tell you, I'm thankful for the promise of eternity. I'm thankful for a home in heaven. But oh, how lonely this life would be and how tough the road between here and there would be without Emmanuel. Yesterday, I wasn't able to make it because my schedule was full. But some friends of ours from Monroe would bury their 16-year-old daughter. And I watched the funeral live stream. And I watched her dad get up behind the pulpit. He's a pastor there in Monroe. He's the only other independent Baptist pastor in Monroe. And I uh, watched her dad get up behind the pulpit and get up and, and preach a short message before the other preachers got up there. And there in front of him lay the body of his 16-year-old daughter. I have a daughter. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know that I could do that. How, how could you do that? How could you get up there and preach? I, I don't know. And then obviously we were preparing this message and then a word popped in my heart and my mind on how you could do that. God with us, Emmanuel. The preacher quoted yesterday Psalms 46, even posted it on Facebook. Just hours before the, the, the funeral, he posted Psalms 46 on his page Psalms 46, the Bible tells us God is our refuge and strength. Listen closely. A very present help in time of trouble. 
Oftentimes we focus on the help, we focus on the refuge, and we focus on the strength. Can I tell you the most blessed word in Psalms 46? Present. Present. That means God with us. Look, if if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've still not answered the problem of the past, and you're missing out on the one that wants to accompany your present. You see, when you reject Jesus Christ, the answer to the problem of our past, you're also missing out on Emmanuel, God with us in the present. I'm going to tell you, between here and eternity, you're going to need him. I'm going to need him in five minutes, five hours, five days, five months, and five years. I assure you of that. The preacher got up to preach. Before he sat down, he said the words we've heard many times. He says, I don't know how lost people make it. Because as he stood behind the pulpit, as his daughter lay there in front, and his wife and their two sons sat there on the front row, They were able to do what they were able to do, and they were able to endure what they're able to endure. Why? Because they know Emmanuel. They have God with us. How did David go through all that David went through? The answer's in Psalms 23. What did he say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Look at the boldness of David. I will fear no evil. Boy, today's world, it feels like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't it? I believe the Lord's coming back soon, and I hope you're ready. But David says, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because I got this big old stick, and I'm going to whack them upside the head when they come. He says, no, for thou art with me. With me. You see, if you don't know Christ, and you don't know Emmanuel, and you're missing out on God with us. I'll tell you this, there's nothing under your tree, and I hope you get everything you wanted this year. I hope you're a good boy or girl, and you get everything you wanted for Christmas. There is nothing, there is nothing that you will find under your tree on December 25th that can take the place or fulfill the void that God with us can fill. There's nothing. It may make you feel good for a little while, but I promise you it'll die off, and you're going to be looking forward to your birthday, your anniversary, for something else to fill the void that only a God with us can fill. There will come a day in your life, you will see, that only a God with us will sustain you to make it from here to eternity. 1 Peter 3.15, the Bible tells us this. I love this verse. Be ready always to give an answer to every man of what? Ask it the reason of the hope that is in you. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks a reason of the hope that is within you. Now, understand this. Hope is invisible. Hope is invisible. What do they see that they ask you about? They see you walking through the valley of the shadow of death and fearing no evil. They see you going through unspeakable tragedy losing a child, and yet you're sustained by something that's far beyond you, that you can't do on your own. Where does that come from? The Bible says, be ready always to give an answer. They're going to ask you, how are you making it? How do you keep going? How are you staying so strong? Not that you don't cry, not that you don't hurt, but you're not done in. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. How do you keep doing that? The Bible says, be ready. 
Be ready. Be ready for what? To utter the word Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. Boy, God's called my family to move around a little bit in our life. And moving's scary. Number one, it ain't fun. I hate moving. Next time, we're going to sell everything. In the house. Lock, stock, and barrel. Except for my animals. We're going to sell everything. The dead ones. I don't have any live ones. I only have dead ones. I find they're hard to kill when they're already dead. And so, we don't have any live animals. And boy, it's frightening moving from one town and one comfort zone to another. You say, oh, how do you able to do that? Emmanuel. I just know that God's going to be with us. If God calls us to Africa tomorrow, we're going to go. It might be a little bit scary, but we can go. Why? Because of the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. I have hope in a hopeless world. Why? Because of Emmanuel. So number one, notice that Mary and Joseph were waiting on the promised answer to our past. They were waiting on the promise that would accompany the present. Before we close, turn back to the book of Luke, and we're going to look at that verse one more time. If you go back to the book of Luke, as we look at what the angel had to say to Mary, look down to verse number 32. The Bible says, he shall be great. If you will count up all of the shalls, there's about ten of them. You see, that's the promise, shall, shall, shall. He shall be great. Now watch this next name. He shall be called the son of the highest. There's another name. Now, why didn't he just say Jesus again? Why did he say Jesus and Christ and Emmanuel? And now he says he's going to be called the son of the highest. Well, if you keep reading verse 32, you'll see the answer. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Now, if you're anything like me, you're always trying to figure out what the last point is. And you see a pattern begin to unfold that he was the promise answer to our past, and he's the promise that accompanies us in the present. But we'll notice the throne of his father David is something that hasn't happened yet. He says, He shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. You see, not only did he send in Christ the answer to our past, the one that would accompany us in the present, number three, we see the promised assurance of the future. The promised assurance of the future. You ever use the phrase, it's too good to be true? It almost seems too good to be true. That... God would not only send in Christ the answer to our past. Can I tell you, if he did that, that would have been enough. But then we see him accompanying us in the present. He's Emmanuel, God with us. But then he takes it a step further. It just keeps getting better and better. He says, I want to give you an assurance of the future. John 10.10, 10, the Bible tells us that Christ came to give us life, that we might have it more abundantly. But here's what's interesting about that life. It doesn't stop with this one. John 3.16, the Bible says, everlasting life. He takes care of our past. He walks with us in the present, and he's preparing us a future. Can I tell you something? That's the greatest Christmas gift you could ever receive. I hope this morning you know Christ because he's the only answer to the past. You can work this entire lifetime trying to be good and trying to give and trying to help, but you'll never answer the past. Only Christ can do that. He is the way, but 
Now you have this life that he accompanies you with, and he promises a future. He says, the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. We use a phrase a lot in our world, all good things must come to an end. A few days ago, I had to make the sad decision to get in a car and leave Walt Disney World. Sometimes it's rough. My wife and daughter are crying, and I'm having to drag them out of the park and get off, get off the Dumbo ride, Les. You got to go. And Miley, get off the carousel. We got to go now. We have a job. We have to go back and start saving for next time because we have no money left. They took it all while we're down there. It's, you think about mice. They're so small. They climb into your wallet and take all of your money. And the mouse took all of ours. And our vacation had to come to an end, but come back home and get back to work and take care of everything's there. But I want you to understand something this morning. The good things of the gift of God that came in Christ, they don't have to end. This life does not have to be it for you. Not only will he take care of the sin of the past and accompany us in the present, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, listen closely to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, that's why he sent Christ through his mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. Notice there's that word life again, lively hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, so he has made us alive, but that's not it. Keep reading. To, that's a directional word, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We see in the Son of the Highest, we see that God through Christ has not only provided a chance to answer the past, but to have someone accompany us in our present, but to give us an assured future in heaven with him. This morning, can I ask you, have you received the gift of Christmas, which is the gift of Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ, the Savior, the answer, God's answer, the promised answer to our past? Are you trying to deal with it, trying to work it up, trying to clean it up? You'll never do it. Only Christ. Do you have the one that is desiring to accompany you in the present and be your Emmanuel? Who knows? Listen, there are people, listen, this past week who buried loved ones that they sat in church with the week before. As I watched the Wednesday night service of Maranatha Baptist Church in Monroe, Louisiana, the church where... Abby Goodman was the pianist, and boy, could she play. Wednesday night, the service was held with a cappella music. The pianist that was there on Sunday was in heaven by Wednesday. Two years ago, she trusted Christ as her Savior. She received that gift of Christmas. She had the answer, the right answer to the past. She was accompanied by the one who walked with her in the present, and now she's enjoying the future because of Christ. Can I ask you this morning, do you have that? Do you have the right answer? Do you have the one that will accompany you? 
Do you have the only one who can give you the assurance of what's reserved in heaven for you? I want you to know you'll only find it in Christ. That's it. This morning, if you've yet to receive it, you're waiting on what Mary and Joseph was waiting on. And you can receive it today, but I fear this. There's a lot of us that are saved, but we're not living like we have Emmanuel. We're not living like hopeful people. We're just as hopeless. Our homes are just as hopeless. Our children are just as hopeless as the lost world. Why? We have Emmanuel. If anybody ought to have hope in this world, in this hopeless world, it ought to be the people of God who've received the gift of Christ who can say, I have Emmanuel, Christ with me. God forbid you come before a church next week and your child is laid out front. You can make it. Why? Because you've got God with you. This morning, if you're saved, are you living like someone who knows Emmanuel? If you're not, can I tell you what that's like? That's like somebody buying you a gift and you never opening it. Why are you looking for hope in this world? You'll only find it in Christ. Why are you looking for joy in this world? You'll only find it in Christ. Why are you looking for purpose in this world? You're only going to find it in Christ. And he boxed it up and it's wrapped up. But you never open it. You miss out on the greatest gifts that God desired you to have. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Our pianists, our musicians are going to come.